You're listening to the Catalyst Church of Carrollton podcast. We hope this message speaks to you and encourages you. You can find more messages by searching Catalyst Church of Carrollton on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Learn more at IamCatalyst.net. popular. It's way more than our culture is going to teach you, but it is love. And I'm going to preach fast today. Y'all, y'all got that? I'm going to Eminem you. So y'all ready to listen? Because if I preach faster, that means you need to listen harder because I'm telling you it's worth it. And then I promise you won't be more hangry than my daughter who we're going to celebrate her birthday after church. Y'all ready? Tell somebody, say love, love, love. I want to talk about love. I want to talk about love because we have a cheap uh, shallow, generic understanding of love in our culture and in our churches. Paul said, as Dion read, that if you have faith that can move mountains, if you have faith that can move mountains, you burn your body up as a sacrifice, give everything away, and you don't have love, you're nothing. The Bible says God is love, God loves us, which means God's love doesn't leave us the same. And if it does, it is love that ain't. That's my title, Lord. We want to see it. We don't want to miss it. We want to see it. And we want to experience it right now. So, Lord, help me teach. Help me preach. And help me uh, do it in a way that you, uh, people can receive it and do something with it. Because your love is all that will ever matter. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's talk about love, y'all. Because it's more than what you think. And it's not what you think. It's more than what you think, and it's not what you think. And and before I jump in this thing, I want when I point to you, I want you to say throughout the message, say that ain't love. So let's practice. Again, online you can join us and drop a comment because we want you to experience God's love here too. One more time, that ain't love. First, love exposes the areas of your life that need to change. I'm not going in the encouragement. We're not starting there. We're probably not going to end there either because love is so much more than what we post about on our memes and the verses. We don't post a lot of the verses about love because they're really unpopular views because they're shallow. Love exposes the areas of your life that need to change if you really want to look at it. God is love. Prophet Hosea says this. He says, come, let us return to the Lord. God is love. The Lord is love, right? Tell somebody, say, right? Lord, this is what love does. God does because he's love. It says he has torn us to pieces. Torn us to pieces. And now he will heal us. He has injured us. Now he will bandage our wounds. In just a short time, he will restore us. Why will he restore us? So that we may live in his presence. God allows some things to fall apart in your life so that your life can come back together. Because I'm going to tell you, it's better for you to be heartbroken than to stay broken. And love will expose the areas of your life that need to change. Love is awesome. Love is beautiful. Love has mountaintops. Love is messy. Love challenges you, changes you, hurts your feelings. Love will stretch you. Love will break you. Love will put you on your back. Love exposes the areas of your life that needs to change. I'm not done yet. Scripture says, my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline. This is Solomon writing this. The wisest man who eventually stopped practicing these principles in his life fell apart later. He didn't learn young. He learned old in the hard way. Don't reject the Lord's discipline. And don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he 
loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Love, God uses consequences to show you where you need to change and how you need to change. And Solomon says, don't reject it. And when Solomon later in life began to reject God's correction and discipline, his life fell apart. The nation of Israel paid for it because he was the king. He was responsible for him. Love exposes the areas of your life that need to change and need to change now. That's what love does. That's what love does. And love won't leave you the same. And if it does, one more time. One more three. Third time's a charm. Love empowers. Say that with me. Say empowers. Love empowers. Love empowers. Paul says this from a jail cell. This is his perspective. You get mad if somebody disagrees with your social media post. Paul says it's in jail cell. And when you look in church history, he was in jail because of church people who were jealous of him, trying to keep him there because they benefited because he got bigger crowds than them. And they got bigger crowds when he was in jail. Historical fact. This is Paul's perspective about love in jail, having to practice what he preaches, not just preach it. He had to experience God's love to do it like this. He says, this is my prayer for you. He's writing to Philippi, a church he planted. This is my prayer for you, that your love will grow more and more. That you will have knowledge and understanding with your love. Say, empowers That you will see the difference between good and bad and choose good. Say empowers. That you will be pure and without wrong for the coming of Christ. That you will be filled with the good things. Say good things. Because you have to love will empower you. You will fight through the bad things and grow to the good things. That is what love does. It empowers you. It empowers you. Paul said... You'll be filled with good things produced in your life by Christ to bring glory and praise to God, not your ego, not your enemies, to him. Say empowers. I'm going to tell you something. Like Angie, when we got married, she drew things out of me that I never thought were in me. She drew things out of me that I never thought I was capable of. How much more is that supposed to be with your creator? The love of God will expose Things in your life that need to change, but the love of God empowers change and growth. It is the fuel for change and growth. God's love, and if it leaves you the same, that ain't love. That ain't love. Love exposes, and love empowers. It exposes, and it see things that used to matter to me, things that used to affect me deeply, don't affect me as they once did. Things that used to matter to me don't matter as much as they once did. Things that used to not matter, matter more. Things that I used to run from and fight against, now I embrace. Because that's the process of love. If the love of God is not expanding in your heart, hey, have a bad season. If you stay in it for 10 years, that's not a season, that's your life. The love of God is empowers you and it should always be expanding and broadening. And if it's not, that ain't love. That ain't love. It should empower you. The love of God should empower you. God's love should empower you. Now I'm about to get into the unpopular stuff. Say, love doesn't, say this with me, enable. I'm going to have to spend a little bit of time on this. 
It's something that I have planned. Many of you that know the Bible, you may not even know the full scope of this story. A few of you probably even know it's in the Bible because we like to cherry pick the easy stuff. You won't see this posted on social media about love. You won't see it. It's not popular. It's the type of stuff that'll find you having people you love hate you because you have to practice principles that are love but are popular in our culture. And I want to teach it because I want to teach it for what it is because love doesn't enable There's some things in your life that you are enabling by not addressing and by approving and you can accept people. But if you don't address some issues and the people that you do life with, it is not love. And when you do address it, it's not popular. Paul is having to deal with some very messy things in 1 Corinthians. First, the the Corinthian church was... uh, by far the most dysfunctional church that he planted. We know that in history. They were a lot like Catalyst. They were real charismatic, you know what I'm saying? And so Paul has to deal with some things. So he finds out it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and the kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Gosh, I love the Bible, y'all. Man's creeping with his stepmama. Like it's in the Bible. I'm telling you, I love the Bible. It's as messy as we are, man. It ain't afraid. It's messy. We, it ain't church appropriate. It ain't censored. I can get up here. And if I didn't tell you all that in the Bible and I started talking for like 30 minutes about a man sleeping with a stepmama, you'd say, that ain't church appropriate. It's, that's the Bible. It is not afraid of your messiness. It, Emmanuel, God with us in the dirt, in the mud, in the dysfunction. He ain't afraid of it because love is messy and love ain't afraid of messiness. Christmas and Easter, hey, may encourage you. It's more messy than you ever dreamed of. Matter of fact, I'm going to do a good Christmas series this, this Christmas to talk about how I started working on it. I'm just saying, say love is messy. And so when love is messy, you have to make some messy decisions if you're applying love. So man's creeping with a stepmama. And Paul says, and, and he's proud of it. Paul says, and you are proud. Not just talking about the man that's sleeping with his stepmom. He's talking about the church because he says, you are proud. He's talking to the entire church. He said, you boys ain't doing nothing about it. You're enabling it. You're proud of it. You're proud of it. You're afraid of it. Pat Bradford's up here teaching. He's talking about how a lot of things, and I've been guilty of it for a lot of my ministry into the last year or so. Sometimes I'll kind of sneak around or try to present politely some things that are just very blatant in the Bible. Now, the things that we address as a culture that really aren't all in there that much, then that's when you got a problem. But there's some things that are on every page. And if you're afraid of them, you really ain't applying love. And so Paul says, and you are proud. Man, I love the Bible. I love this. He says, you're proud. You got a guy in your church that is bragging about creeping with his stepmama. He's proud of the cougar he got and stole from his daddy. He's proud. And you boys are proud of it. You're enabling it because you're watching. I ain't done yet. He ain't done. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning? Oh, and here's the anti-American stuff right here. And if I'm guilty of preaching, if this is anti-American church, then I'm guilty. Sorry. And you should be mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this. Don't start getting hater because I ain't a hater either. This story goes on and on and we're going to see the beauty of it. He says, you guys are more, you, you should be addressing it. You should be mourning this. And this will blow your mind when you, if you know anything about Paul. He says, for my part, even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit as one who is present with you in this way. I've already passed judgment. Oh, we don't like the J word. Paul said, I've already passed judgment. See, we don't like to read the, We don't like to post about love and post these type of verses because that's anti-Jesus, right? 
already passed judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to stop right there. See, this is the same guy who says, I've already passed judgment in the spirit to deal with this, who said also in Corinthians, he said, it's a small thing, I'll be judged of you. I don't even judge myself. It's the Lord that judges me. Is this a contradiction? No, it's balance. And we have, a, we have overcompensated in our culture on balance with love. It's balance. It's balance. It's balance. Because there's some things in your life that you got to deal with. And I know what you're thinking. And we live in a country and a culture that because of our privilege, and I'm just saying, anybody that doesn't think you're privileged in here, every one of us are. You are spoiled rotten compared to every culture time period that has ever walked the face of the earth. You are, we are spoiled. The most broken person in this room don't have a clue what being an underdog is. Not a clue. And so Paul, so in in our culture, we don't like accountability. We like everybody else to be held accountable. You want everybody else's kids to be held accountable. They bully, they get put on the bench. You want to go to the coach and talk about how bad their kid sucks, but you don't want to talk about your kid's weaknesses. Your kid gets bullied. Your kid gets bullied. You want to crucify a 13-year-old. If, if your kid does the bullying, well, where's the grace and mercy of Jesus? Where was it last year when your kid was the villain? So what happens is we, we, wanna, we, we love transparency. We love the idea of it. That's the thing is we, until we have to be it. But we want to expose everybody's affairs. Until we get called creeping. I'm teaching y'all. Give me a second. I'm going somewhere with here. All my new people, trust me, this is one of the most, this is the most inclusive place you're going to find in Carroll County. But I'm also teaching principles. Let me get there. Don't judge me yet. Don't say this joker, this joker is hateful. Give me a second. I do it for a reason. Not to be mean. I'm going somewhere. Tell somebody, say he's going somewhere. We love account. We hate the J word because we have a culture that we can escape a lot of it. So we do. Jesus, I know what some people are thinking. Well, Jesus says, judge not. Yes, you be judged. Yep, and he also teaches. Oh, if you continue, he says this. He says, don't judge uh, the, spe- the, the speck in your brother's eye when you have a log in your own. That's not talking about judgment. That's talking about hypocrisy. Because it is bad judgment and hypocrisy when you project uh, on other people what you practice. When you're, not a, when you're willing to be hard on everybody else but not take an honest look in the mirror, that's not judging. That's just hypocritical. A hypocrite isn't somebody who screwed up. A hypocrite is somebody who pretends not to be and is. Every one of us need a savior. So Jesus continues teaching because when you see these posted about judge not, yes, you be judged and, and, and get the speck out of your brother's eye uh, or get the log out of your own eye. He continues teaching. He doesn't say ignore the speck in your brother's eye. Actually, it's actually much deeper and better because that's what love is because love does not enable. He says that when you deal with the speck, or the log in your own eye, he says, then you can help your brother with the speck in his. He does not say that love is just letting taste the raw, sirrah. I'm not, the people at your table, the people in your family, you're, the people that you were invested in and do life with, if you enable things that need to be addressed, you're not a true friend if you won't risk the relationship to say the hard things. The Bible says, the Bible says better wounds from a friend than kisses from an enemy. I don't want people to appease you. I will go in our staff meeting and anybody that's now an overseer, I will say the things that I don't believe they need to grow in and they will return the favor to me. And I don't like it, but I need it. 
You don't like it, but you need it. Because love does not enable somebody to stand over a cliff that they need to back up before they fall off. And Paul says, I have judged this dude. By the way, let me quote some more Jesus because people like that. Sorry, I'm ticking up here like crazy. I don't care. I'm preaching. I'm excited. Bradford, you got me excited and I'm up here doggone ticking. You need to, ah, we got same genetics. I just got to rest. So, um, Jesus says this. We like to, we love to quote the one verse that out of context. Jesus says, you will know them by their fruit. How do you know somebody by their fruit, a.k.a. actions and growth? I don't know judgment, good judgment. Discernment is the spiritual gift of good judgment. So wisdom and discretion, just so you know, we're all snowflakes in this culture. We all need to hear this. Some of you are more tough-skinned than others. Others of you, don't, get, don't matter what political side of the spectrum you're on, theological, you are sensitive. We have gotten so sensitive. The truth is, the truth is, That wisdom, discretion, insight, and good judgment isn't anti-Christian. It's Christ-like. It's a byproduct of love. I think you're about to see this. Watch this. Oh, and and this story doesn't end. It's my next point, just so you know in a minute. Oh, I love the Bible, man. Oh, my back's all here hurting, but I love the Bible. So when you were assembled, I already said that. No, I didn't. So when you are assembled, in other words, when you're in church doing the thing, growing together, I'm with you in spirit. The power of our Lord Jesus is present. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Not the destruction of his life. Not the destruction of his reputation. Not to go nitpick and talk about it and defend it and tell everybody and throw dirt on it. The destruction of his flesh. Because... When we enable people who need to learn and grow and aren't willing to, they have to be broken sometimes. And you are delaying brokenness in people that you enable. You've been letting your wife and husband act out for 20 years and all of a sudden you want to set boundaries now and tell them it's either now or never. I'm leaving and give ultimatums. Why didn't you do that 20 years ago? Because love, because you're bitter now. You done got bitter now. Love does not enable and what happens is when you when you are so mad at your ex that you want to ruin their life and make them die and dead over it that is not love that is bitterness and what love does is love doesn't ruin somebody's life love wants to destroy their flesh and if there's any hope and reconciliation for some people it's going to be without you in their life stepping away from the situation and if there's not reconciliation oh how about this all my parents out there you pay for your kids to go to a hundred different rehabs if you haven't noticed it's not working I've had to counsel people that have told me over over years of my ministry now, because I'm not a veteran, but I'm not a spring chicken anymore either. They'll say, but but they'll die without me. No, they're going to OD in your bed. What's going to happen? The only hope they have is finding Jesus on the streets with you not to save them. That is love. And I know this is unpopular. Listen to me. If this is your first message at Catalyst Church, give me another chance next week. But I'd have preached today what's on my heart. Love does not enable it does not enable. And Paul says we do this so that he can have a chance to come back and get his crap together. And with you enabling him, he's not going to do it. And he says this, your boasting is not good. Your enabling is not good. You're dodging and not talking about. If you're, in your, if you're not having hard conversations with your spouse about things they need to work through and grow in and they're not having them with you, you really don't have a marriage. You're just roommates and co- like college kids. 
I told Connor last week, I said, there's been one time we, I'm telling you, you see us arguing, people think we need to call the popo. There's only one time in my, our marriage that the tension we had was unhealthy. And it was one time. It was last summer. That's it. We worked through it, grew through it. Every other time we argue for progress, we're petty in the process. But we want to build something bigger than ourselves. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? It's the little things, man. It's the little things that break your life apart. The things that when somebody brings it to the table, you're like, this is so small. You're telling, why don't you tell me what I'm doing right? You know what I did for you? I worked 20 years. I paid for your college, but you're treating me like dirt. It's the small things in a marriage. I've been able to counsel so many couples with infidelities and, and even babies that were birthed out of infidelities. And I've never once, see, it's a shallow understanding of love. I've never once seen a couple where what we always like to judge the man. He's just had a midlife crisis, wanted his younger blood. No, it's never the woman wanted money and they were tired of being broke. What happened is two people that fell in love and probably got married for love or loved each other at one point, they became strangers because all the thousand little things that they let it creep in the way, raising kids instead of building a life together, pouring into your kids, and then your kids are going to grow up and you're not going to like each other and you're not going to be compatible because you didn't grow in the same direction because you decided to pour your life into kids. I love my kids, but I tell you one thing, me and Angie, don't they're my priority, but they are not my God. I love them more than anything except Angie and Jesus. And so what happens is, is it's the small things. It's not the big mistake that you made that your kids won't talk to you. It's all those years that you pushed away the things that you need to grow through. And they were tired of it. It was just a straw that broke the camel's back that you left them because of divorce. Divorce wasn't the worst option. You, you did that. The problem is your kids don't respect you because they never, you gave them, never gave them anything to respect because of the small things. And Paul said a little, it's the small things that'll make it break your life. It's the small things, y'all. Angie loves me, believes in me, but I'm going to tell you, she will call me out on my crap and embarrass me if that's what it takes. And I don't like it. I need it. You need it. You need it. You need it. I've lo- you need it. Your kids ain't learned because you don't let them learn. And you're, they're immune to your yelling because you don't back it up. You can talk and scream and yell and back them up against the wall with your words, but you really don't do anything about it. Man, I'm telling you, it does not enable... Love is not words. Love doesn't enable. Love doesn't sidestep. That's not what I've learned as a leader, y'all. And when I say this as a pastor, it's you as your family. You lead somebody. And if you're not leading, you're misleading. I've learned that what I don't address, I'm endorsing. And while I can't sit up here and make a stand on everything, nor do I think it's necessary, there are some things that if I don't address, then our culture really just, it communicates as a church and anybody who looks to me, whether online or in person, then I'm endorsing it if I don't address it. By the way, when your kids grow up and you see them allow some things from their spouse in the house, allow to be, when you got daughters that let, the, let, let their husbands treat them like crap or, or vice versa, what you didn't address in your home growing up, they just it communicated to them that that was okay. And what happens is you get older and you breaks your heart watching them, but you don't look back and realize you did it all growing up. If you don't tell that your baby's mama or your baby's daddy, hey, we don't talk to each other like that. 
Or if you don't communicate when you do talk to them that I'm sorry, I apologize. I was wrong. What you're doing is you're communicating that it's okay. So what happens is you end up growing up and you it breaks your heart watching standing by the Christmas tree and watching your grandchild be treated the same way you treated them. What you don't endorse, what you don't address, you're endorsing. I'm going to tell this straight up. I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm not going to even give disclaimers because anybody that's new to this church know we had to do a massive overhaul last year because the culture got out of hand. It grew too fast. Every staff meeting we have now, I tell our, most of them, they can all attest that I'm like, we got to keep our eyes on Jesus. I'm not, that my biggest fear, when I see numbers, I actually, it's, not, it's, it's as stressful as encouraging. There was a time, y'all, listen to me, what you, you may live it, you may not just preach it, you may live it. But if you don't begin to expect and enforce expectations in your life, you're enabling dysfunction. I'm not talking about you may be true to it in your personal standards, but if you don't hold the people that you do life with and lead to the expectations, you're enabling dysfunction. Watch this. I was, there was a time in our church history, we're just five years old, by the way, that I'm pouring my heart out up here preaching. Pour my heart out, bawling, preaching, and come to find out there were people out there while I'm pouring my heart out, gossiping and talking junk. The difference two, three, four, five years later... There would be 10 people and any of my leadership that wasn't one of them, any people that wasn't out there reminding them why we're here and if they're not here, they need to leave. I would be angry at my leadership because if I don't expect, if we don't expect and enforce what we feel is valuable, then we are enabling everything that we don't feel we're enabling dysfunction. So I love, God's love challenges us, but it does not enable, it, it encourages, it empowers, but it does not enable and so there's battles that I think are un- unnecessary and unworthy in our culture. There are some that are. In your family, you've got to decide that because the life you build, the life you build will be based on what you expect and enforce, not just on what you practice individually. So there are some things I have to do because I don't want this church to, I want you to be clear on the vision. I want guests to be clear on why we're here. We're having a welcome party two weeks from today. All my new Cata fam, stay church with us. I was supposed to do this at the end. I'll do it now. Stay after church. The reason I do that, I got 20 minutes for you, lunch, and we'll give you a tour of the facility. Come hang with us. I want you to be clear from day one who we are as a church so that you don't ever have to guess or be mad. If you're going to be mad, I want you to be mad for righteous reasons, right reasons. Love doesn't enable. But let's do some balance. Love doesn't exasperate. Because this is where we get balance. We're either one extreme or the other. It doesn't exasperate, which means irritate, nag, wear. Going to 2 Corinthians, where Paul's addressing this same situation he addressed in 1 Corinthians, except now he's having to address the church. Because what we know in church history is this man actually got his crap together. This man that was creeping got his crap together, y'all. They practiced the unpopular uh, principles of love. They they said the hard things, did the hard things. They set boundaries with him, and he got his life together. Got his life together, and he came back to the church. This is we we know a lot more in the than anything in the New Testament. We know about Paul's epistles and what he was dealing with. Man comes back to the church, wants to be reconciled, and he's he's back. Got his life together. He's growing, and Paul now has to challenge the church because of wounds and bitterness. Watch this, y'all. This is scriptural. It is amazing. 
He says, I'm not overstating it. He's humbling himself before the people that had to deal with this issue. I'm not overstating it when I said that the man who caused all the trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. Paul's humbling himself. He's saying, I know that I don't know the near the depth of pain that you know from what this guy did and the division and the hurt he caused in your life. But then he says, most of you opposed him and that was punishment enough. Somebody comes in here wanting to grow. We don't remind them of what they did 10 years ago. This is a place to grow. If you want to grow and take it seriously and you want to engage, we don't remind people because love doesn't exasperate. Now, however, it's time to forgive and comfort him. It's time to comfort him. So otherwise he may be overcome with discouragement. He's trying to come back. You set space and boundaries and he actually took you up on it and he actually became a better man and now he's coming back and you guys don't need to exhaust him because he will be overcome with discouragement because you're not loving him and you need... And Paul says, so I urge you now, this is all scripture, y'all, straight in the Bible. I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. I wrote to you as I did to test you and see if you would fully comply with my instructions. When you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit. So Christ, so that Satan will not outsmart us. And I love this last line, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. A lot of us aren't these days. Paul said, do not make it any harder on this man to heal than his decisions have already made harder on him. Quit reminding your husband of all he's done to you the last 20 years because he's trying to do better the third decade and you won't let him because you are wearing him down, reminding him of what he did and keeping score. And and love does not exasperate. Love does not remind your kids over and over what they're not doing without saying, but I'm proud of you because you're growing. And while we're having to grow here, you are an incredible son and daughter. Love does not exasperate. Love does not exhaust and wear down. Love does not constantly remind your parents of how they left you and how you're all of a sudden here now, but you, you were just a sperm donor when I was a kid. That is not love. Love doesn't enable, but love doesn't exasperate. Love doesn't constantly remind people of the wrong they did because that's never productive. That's bitterness, not love. And I love what Paul says. And by the way, if you do those things, if you a lot of people are really good these days at setting boundaries, but they love to remind people for the next 30 years of how bad they suck. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to miss the blessing of God if, because of your own woundedness. You're going to miss so many stories of redemption if you're not willing to allow somebody back to the table who wants to make amends and who wants to grow. And if you, because of your own wounds, if you tell them that they're defined by their mistakes and can never have a chance in a to your life or other people's life. Not saying everybody, but I'm saying if you if you put up walls, that ain't boundaries, that's walls, and you're gonna miss the blessing of God in your own life because it affects yours life, not theirs. Said this when we say love forgives. Love forgives. Love forgives. Paul said we are aware of the enemy's schemes. Love forgives. Heard somebody say years ago, forgive everybody for everything all the time. It forgives. And forgiveness doesn't affect their life, it affects yours. 
Forgiveness isn't about them. It's about you. I don't care if they're proud of what they did to you. Want, want you to pay for it for the rest of your life. It is your responsibility to forgive them. You don't have to enable it. Love doesn't enable it. Wear people down and constantly remind, but it lets go. Surrender your right to be right. Let it go. They may not have let it go, but you need to let it go. They don't. They may not care what they did to you, but you begin to let them go and forgive. You don't have to trust them. You don't have to be do business with them. You don't have to be their BFF. But if you don't if you don't forgive them, it's going to destroy your life from the inside out. Because most people that hurt you. Either now, maybe never, will never admit it, and they may make you the... There's a lot of people, you, they hurt you, and they end up making you the bad guy with some people in your face, especially family issues. Good gracious. I, I ever have family issues now. People call me, I'm just like, yeah, we'll sit down at the table and hear everybody's side. I ain't doing this today. I'm not. I'm not. I ignore texts because of that reason. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Forgiveness, by the way, forgiveness doesn't forget. There's some things you don't need to forget. Some lessons you learned that you need to remember. But forgiveness lets go. Watch this. Jesus said, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they, they are doing. He's on the cross, right? But right after it, I love the Bible. And the soldiers gamble for his clothes by throwing dice. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. And guess what they kept doing? Rolling dice and instigating him for hours on a cross. Come down and save yourself. Their heart didn't change his heart. He let it go. So love will stand ground. Love will get messy. Love will not be, love will be fearless when you have to make hard decisions. Love is willing to take all the consequences of having to apply love to the people you love. But at the end of the day, no matter what happens, when the dust settles, when the hurt stops, when it's all over but the shouting, love says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And even if they know what they're doing, Father, you better still forgive. I want you to still forgive them because I don't want it to destroy my life. And lastly, love isn't thirsty and selfish. I hope you will hear me right now. Love isn't thirsty and selfish. By the way, on your bulletin, it says, let's go. I'm saving that for another sermon. John 12, Jesus says, many people believed in him. This is an amazing line. However, including some of the Jewish leaders, some of the Pharisees, the elite actually came to Jesus. But then it says, but they wouldn't admit it for fear of the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. They would lose their benefits if they actually said what they were feeling. Read this line with me. It's underlined in your bulletin. For they loved human praise more than praise of God. We like to disguise our love with thirsty and selfish. I told y'all it's going to be a message on love like you never heard before. I told you I don't. I try not to lie, and if I do, I do it unintentionally. You know, we like to point. We love to point out narcissism in everybody else, don't we? By the way, just so you know, psychological fact: we all have narcissistic traits. We're human. That's why, from the beginning, Jesus had to deal with our selfishness. Every one of us. And by the way, it's a narcissistic tendency to point out everybody else's narcissistic traits. Just saying. I'm just saying. 
Every time I hear somebody say the N-word 17 times in 30 minutes, I'm like, yeah, you're telling on yourself. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Constantly talking about your ex from 10 years ago. That's sad. Love isn't thirsty. It isn't selfish. These Pharisees truly actually found Jesus, but they chose not to move forward because they were thirsty, they were selfish, and I'll get to self-righteousness in a minute, but I'm going to tell you. You know why You know why the greatest time to, to, you know when the greatest time to fast social media is? Election year. Because either one of them, now three things. Uh, two years ago, I'd have told you two things, but now there's a third thing because I'm telling you, this is funny because we're all just a bunch of kids. That's why we need a savior. We need him. The guy gets elected that you voted for. Praise God, it's his will. I knew the will of God. It's a control tactic. It's selfish. It's self-righteous. If they don't get elected, it ain't. It wasn't God's will. Uh, it's, it's the country's going to fall apart. Everybody's going to hell for voting for this guy. I'm telling you, and you forget the scriptures that you quoted before the election. You know, the ones like this say the king's heart's in the hands of the Lord. But you forgot about that when your guy didn't get elected. Because you're thirsty and selfish. Every one of us. Every one of us deal with this. Or now there's a third option. They cheated! Ragball all over again. Ragball all over again. And I don't care about your political persuasion. This is a people problem, not a political one. Because everybody on both sides of the spectrum do this. Because it is a heart issue, not an agenda issue. Because we are thirsty. And we are self-righteous and we want control. And the gospel says, you find your life by losing it, by surrendering your pride and ego. And a lot of times we like to disguise our love. We can use a lot of the things, the options we have in our life to hold on to the things that we need to let go of. You want somebody so bad that you will wake up next to anybody not to wake up next to nobody. Thirsty. And you're not broken. You just need to realize that you got a Savior who loves you. And you don't have to have one night stands to get attention and to feel satisfied. Love is not thirsty. Your perspective is so cynical. I hear it from people all the time. That I grew up, that I literally, they were church people until COVID. I mean, I can tell you how many people I reach out to. Hey, we miss you guys. Well, I just ain't for church. Ain't, the, the real ones that are blatant, I only have to reach out to them. Church ain't got nothing for me. Ain't got nothing for my family. Bunch of hypocrites. Well, we got room for you to come back or one more online. I'm telling we got room for them because we're all that. We're all got parts of our life and heart that we hold back. That we're not, that's the point of this life is to one step at a time, surrender. Surrender. Bring to the altar. That's the point. Every one of us have narcissistic traits. Every one of us have pride and insecurities that we're trying to get our needs met from other places that aren't Jesus. The point is, come on, we got something for you right here. Join us hypocrites because here's the thing. God can use messed up people in motion. What he can't do, he can't do a lot with memes and retweets and cynicism and skepticism and your late Saturday nights that you spend all day recovering on Sunday. Even if you're at the place in your life where you go into the club, come on, come straight to church. You can go to sleep after. We're getting out a little bit later today. We're getting out a little bit later, but most Sundays we're out. We're getting out right now. Come on. Love is not thirsty and selfish. 
It isn't. And lastly, love isn't self-righteous. Excuse me, this is a part of this point. Thirsty, love isn't self-righteous. See, we do things to be seen and celebrated. I'm talking about good things, right things. Jesus talked about the Pharisees, the religious people. He said, you do things. You focus on the outside of the cup. He said they wore their phylacteries wrong, wrong. Their phylacteries were their big robes to make them look priestly and stuff. He says, and they had little tassels for all the things that they had accomplished. He said, y'all focus on that, the outside of the cup. Because the reason that you do right is to be seen and noticed. That is not, that's just thirsty. That ain't love. That's self-righteous. We're so focused on that. We want to be, he said the Pharisees, they prayed to be heard. They gave to be seen. And, and, and that's why Jesus tells us, he says, when you have to tell everybody the good things you've done, that'll be your reward because that's why you did it. Oh, you get a reward. You get the exact one you were wanting to be acknowledged by everybody else instead of be honored and blessed by God. Because when you're plowing a field, you don't have to tell everybody what you're doing. You get on, oh, nobody, but I'm going to prove all the haters wrong, man. Just plow and shut up because that's the good, that's a right reason for plowing and working. Because if you truly believe who God says he is, then love, love is not thirsty and selfish. It doesn't do it for the acknowledgement of people because the prophet in the Old Testament said that your works are filthy rags to God. I don't care what you do. Even your Jesus post that you somehow make about you. It's a filthy rags to God. And by the way, filthy rags is talking about menstrual rags, tampons. It ain't talking about little dirty shop rags. It's that real nasty, nasty. It's in the Bible. Don't talk to me. They'll give you some lighter sermons at other churches if that's where you need to go. But I'm telling you, that is what it says. Because God doesn't want anything from you. He wants everything for you. Everything that Bradford said up here about money, he's passionate because he's seen it. He doesn't say it because Catalyst doesn't want anything from you. We want everything for you. The principles in the Bible are things that God wants for you, not from you. But if you do them for the wrong reasons, then you're going to squelch what God does. What the, the, you're going to squelch the rewards in your life. Everything. You are thirsty. You are selfish. And we are all, not you. Or how about this? Can we just all raise our hands right now? We are thirsty and self-righteous. And we need a savior. And we need right now to surrender every area of our life again. I was telling Megan this morning that when we started Catalyst, I said, I was about your age. And I said, I was so ambitious. It was evil. And I'm so thankful for God breaking me down. That because I would rather him break me down than me to miss miss what he wants me to experience for his glory, not mine. Love is not thirsty. It is not selfish. And it, I promise you this, love wins. Love wins. I'm almost done, y'all. Love wins. Paul writes, three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. Dion said it. And the greatest of these is love. It wins. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door. This is a proposal from your Savior. Not your wife that you've been waiting on a million years. That's just what you say because you're dramatic. This is a proposal from your king, from your creator. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, I will come in and we will share a meal as friends. The creator who loves us, he told his disciples and it's offered to every one of you. He says, don't call me master, call me friend. 
C.S. Lewis, who was one of the greatest uh, skeptics of his time. He was an atheist. We, we know C.S. Lewis is a theologian, but actually he became one of the greatest theologians. But before that, he was one of the greatest atheists. And he talked about this, and it's so true to today. He said that I always thought I was going to come to a place to believe and have faith. Because all I had was my mind, which was a big one, by the way. And he said, but I realized when I came to Jesus that I came to a person, not a place. See, we're always waiting to get to that next step. If I can just get here, then I can feel worthy. I can get to that next place. If I can, if I can get this, then I can actually be faithful with my, with my, uh, with my uh, purity or my money or my whatever. If I can just get to this place. I had a guy that I went to school with that died of a heart attack at 29. And when we were in high school, he told me, Ben, I'm going to come to church one day. I'm going to come to yours if you ever preach. But I got to get to a certain, I got to feel, I got to do better with my life. And he dropped dead before he ever came into the church that I was preaching at. C.S. Lewis said, I I thought I was going to get to a place, but I got to a person. See, love is a person. Not just principles, love is a person. And he, you don't have to memorize the principles I told you today. He will change your life. He has a name. The name above every name is Jesus. And that may sound cheesy and churchy because the church has settled for shallow, generic, and no depth. And it may get likes and shares on social media, but it does not have substance. Love has a name. It is him and he loves you so much. He loves you so much. Fathers, mothers, old people, young people. God wants to do so much in your life. Love will turn your life upside down so that it can allow you to live right side up. He he promises that he will take your heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. The Bible says those upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I'm not talking about one day. Y'all know anything about me? I don't preach to get people in heaven. That's not my thing. I preach because God wants you to experience him right now, this moment, this season, this situation. That is what I preach. Will you stand with me? Because that is the gospel. The gospel is not some shallow escape one day. The gospel is right now God is working. He is working. Thanks for listening. We'd love to know your story. Let us know how this message impacts your life. You can message us at info at imcatalyst.net. We're here for you and we are for you. If you have a prayer request, you can message us at prayer at imcatalyst.net. To keep up with what's going on at Catalyst Church in Carrollton, visit us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Jesus cares about you, we care about you, and we hope you join us again on the Catalyst Church of Carrollton podcast.